The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motoke Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. Happy Mother's Day to the mothers too, because today is the day that you can dump the kids on dad and say, be a good father. Yeah, so happy Father's Day to the mothers. All right, let's turn to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12, we started here last week. We'll be in verses 4 down to verse 12 together. Romans 12, verse 4 down to verse 12. Romans 12, verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all the members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, in patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. John, I appreciate the special this morning. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Romans chapter 12 together this morning. Romans chapter 12. In 2015, a book was released and it instantly became a bestseller. Perhaps you've heard of it. It was released under the Christian headings, and a lot of Christians purchased the book. It was quite a bestseller. The title actually grabbed my attention. The title was The Power of I Am by Joel Olstein. I found that intriguing because especially the idea where the words I am come from in the Bible. And so as you look, if you remember the story, Moses wandering through the wilderness, he comes to the burning bush, and God calls him to go to Egypt and lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. This is a momentous occasion for Israel, and one of the questions that Moses asked the Lord at the burning bush, Moses asked, who will I tell them sent me, and you might remember the response that God gave. It was a response that gets repeated throughout Scripture as a name for God, and that name is, I am. If I could just help you with that, He is an ever-present help in a time of need. Not in the past, not in the future, 
but I am now. And so as I began to look at this book, The Power of I Am, I thought, what's going on here? I need to know more about this. And then there was a subtitle to the book that was called like this. It said it was two words that will change your life. I'll give you a couple of quotes from the book because I want you to grasp a thought this morning. Um, the title for our message today is this, It's Not About You. And so here, let me read a couple of quotes from this bestseller. He says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now, I'll admit that sounds right. It comes from the Bible. But I want to know where's he going with it. He says, you have to send your words out in the direction you want your life to go. I've not found that in the Bible yet. and I'm really curious what he means, so I keep reading. And he says something like this, when you say, I am beautiful, not only does that beauty and youth and freshness start coming your way, but on the inside, your spirit also comes alive. I'm having a hard time not preaching right now. Your self-image begins to improve, and you'll start carrying yourself like you're something special. And you won't drag through the day feeling less than or inferior. In other words, whatever follows the I am will eventually find you. That's what he says. Something like, I am blessed, and I am prosperous, I am successful, I'm victorious, I am talented, I am creative, I am wise, I am healthy, I am in shape, I am energetic, I am happy, I am positive, I am passionate, I am strong, I am confident. Hang on a second, guys. I can say I am about anything I want to doesn't change who I am. I can say I am a horse jockey, but that doesn't make me any shorter or lighter. And I will never be able to run the Melbourne Melbourne Cup. I'm just not that guy. (laughs) You can say I am all you want. It doesn't change the fact that you are not as important as you think you are. And that's the point that comes out of Romans chapter 12 this morning. The focus is never on me. It's not about me. You see, as Christians, as believers, we're to be transformed. Our old way of thinking was it's all about me. And as a believer, I'm transformed by the gospel. The gospel changes who I am. I no longer start to center my world around me and who I am and who I want other people to see me. Instead, I'm seen in Christ because of the gospel. The gospel transforms my life. I'm to be different because of the gospel. You see, the cross took my sin. Before I became a believer, before I put my trust in Christ, I was condemned in my sin before a holy God. It doesn't matter how many times I say, I am a nice guy and a good person. I need the blood of Christ to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I must come to God humble before Him, placing my trust in Jesus' blood alone at the cross of Calvary. And it's at that moment that I receive that great exchange where He takes my sin and places it upon Jesus and takes God's righteousness and places it upon me. That's nothing of what I do. That's everything because of Jesus. I don't get to claim something randomly. Oh, I only get to be made righteous because of what Christ has done on the cross. I don't know if you remember what you were like before salvation. I'll give you a verse from... 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 to lists off a couple of ways that you might have lived, and I know that I did, 
Here's 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And if we're honest, I think that almost every single one of us falls into some point in those categories. And he says, you don't get to inherit the kingdom of God if that's the way you are. Those are very pointed words. Now listen to what he says in verse 11. Because some of us got saved and forgot about that. And such were some of you. But you're washed. You've been sanctified. And you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Friend, it's because of the Lord Jesus that you are who you are. You don't get to say, oh, look at me because I'm so special. Friend, it's not about you. You see, the Gospel transforms your life and you are transformed, as we saw last week, by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, the rest of chapter 12, all of 13, 14, and into 15 is going to be very practical how we're to be renewed in our mind and that will change out how we live our lives. But the one that we see today is found in verse number 3. Let me read it for you and I want you to see the command. It's a very clear command. Verse 3. For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Here's the clear command. Don't think too highly of yourself. We're going practical now. Guys, we're going practical. We've been talking about the gospel. We've been talking about how you can be justified and you can be sanctified and how all of that is based on Christ at the cross. And friend, all of that's happening in your head and you're believing it in your heart and you're trusting Jesus. And now all of those things, chapter 1 to 11 of Romans, is now getting ready to get played out in your life. The practical. From day to day, don't think too highly of yourself. You know why? Lost people think a lot of themselves. The Gentiles, I'll use those words from Paul's, the Gentiles, the other Gentiles think that they're something special. Oh, look at me. You need to respect me and my ways. Hey, hang on a second, guys. If you're a believer, the command comes very clear. Don't think too highly of yourself. My old man wanted to think of me, but my new, way, new man's way of thinking should be encapsulated in how I think of Christ living through me. Maybe you remember those words, Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's not me living to represent me. I'm living as a result of Christ living out through me. And people, when they see me, are not seeing me, they're seeing Christ. So guys, I'm just going to be blunt with you this morning. There's times when somebody will say something to offend you, or they might act in a certain way to offend you. And if you are flying the flag of my kingdom, use Paul Tripp's words, if you're flying the flag of my kingdom, you will take offense against you. But if you're flying the flag of Jesus' kingdom, you're going to be slow to take offense. You're going to go, you know what? I'm going to be slow to speak. I'm going to be slow to wrath. I'm going to be slow to take offense. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to them. 
I'm going to go out of my way to figure out ways to make things right between me and them. Oh, by the way, please don't try to skip to that without having taken care of justification and sanctification first. You transformed by the Gospel, and this is the way your life will be lived out. Now, again, we said this last week, don't think that you're going to get to do the horizontal relationships right if you haven't taken care of the vertical relationship first. And if you want to know how your vertical relationship with God is going, have a look at those horizontal relationships. If you're having problems in horizontal relationships, there's a really good chance that you haven't gotten your vertical one right right yet. So maybe pause and come back into Romans 5, 6, 7. Park there for a little while. God, I need to make things right with you. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I'm now dead to sin. I have no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So I'm going to put aside my desires. Now, practically speaking, I'm going to let Christ live out through me. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives. You might remember another verse, 1 Corinthians 6.20. We shared this one last week. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are God's. If you're a believer, you are to be glorifying God with your body. Not me. I'm not thinking of myself more highly than I ought to think. Instead, I'm thinking of Christ more highly than me. And I want Christ to be represented well in my life. So I'm going to glorify God with my body and with my spirit because they belong to Him. That's a clear, clear command. Don't think too highly of yourself. There's an understood, or another way to say it, an implied command in the same verse Let me read the verse and maybe you'll hear it. Here's the implied command. Think more highly of other believers. That's the implied one. I'll I'll read verse 3. Listen to it well. I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. Not like a drunkard. Think soberly. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So think soberly. Paul's going to help us with an example for this from everyday living that shows up in verse number 4. We'll unpack this idea. I'm going to be thinking of others more preferably than myself. That implied command. The implied command. I'm going to think more highly of other believers. And the practical example comes out through the body. See it in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office. So he says, here, just take a look at your body, and you will realize that your body has many members. Hope you're watching me here. You have a lot of different members in your body. You don't have to take a biology class to know and understand that your body is made up of many members. They say that the body is made up of 12 major parts like the head, the neck, the arms, the torso, the legs, 78 organs like the stomach and the kidneys and the liver, 206 bones, and 642 skeletal muscles. And yet in all of those members, I don't know where to fit the fingernail. It's not an organ. It's not a bone. It's not a skeletal muscle. We have thousands of 
members within your body. And each one, just by the fact that we understand how the body works, each one has its own function. We would not want the fingernail to do the work of the nose. Could you imagine if you needed to smell and your fingernail was the one that was supposed to smell? Like, I wonder what that smells like. And that one smells like. And this one over here, what's it smell like? And could you imagine if your fingernails... Guys, I've done enough work in the septic tanks around this property to be thankful that my fingernails don't smell. And at the same time, aren't you glad that your nose doesn't have to do the work of your fingernails? For if your back itched, you'd have a very hard time scratching it, right? You'd never be able to open peanuts. It just wouldn't work. Your fingernails have a specific function. Your nose has a specific function. Every member within the body, I want you to hear me well, every member within the body has its own function. And Paul's going to make this statement here in verse 5. He's going to bring that home and make it very practical for us. But the point here, the example is the body has many different members. So then, verse 5, so we, being many, are one body in Christ. And every one members of another. So every one of us needs the other. And every one of us fulfills a duty within the body. The mouth tastes, the stomach digests, the intestines absorb nutrients, the hands prepare, the nose hairs keep the dirt out of your lungs. And some of you, like me, have many more nose hairs than others. But every single one of us serves a purpose within the body of Christ. Every one of us is a member one of another. Now look at verse 6, and he's going to call this a very unique name. He says those members are gifts. See it in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Now he's going to list seven different gifts. But I want you to notice the fact that he calls, verse 5, we have members one of another. And then in verse 6 he says, having then these gifts. So I want you to hear him say those things. Those are the same God has given us many different members within the body, and those members are gifts to the body. Those are the same. In one verse, He calls you members. In another verse, He calls you gifts. God doesn't waste body parts. God has made... Friend, I want you to hear this. God has made you as a member of the body to be a gift to the body. There are no, if you understand science, there are no vestigial organs within the body of Christ. We all serve a purpose. Every one of us is a gift, and you have a gift that has been given by God to you, but you've been given as a gift to this body. And that gift is not for you yourself. It's for the body. I'll give example. I honestly believe as I look at my own life, I can see God has given me a gifting. I believe this is a gift that God's given me. The ability to read the Word and study the Word and stand before His people and proclaim, thus saith the Lord. I believe that's the gift that God's given to me. 
And yet that gift is not so that I can proclaim my goodness and say, hey, look, and, and listen to Pastor Matt. Oh, his sermons are so wonderful. That's not what the reason is. The reason is so that it can be a gift, hear me well, church, to Capital City Baptist Church. God has given me a gift so that that will be a gift to you, church. That's not for me. That's for you. And every single one of us has a gift. You have a gift that God has given you, and it is not for you. It is for the church. Paul himself was a gift. Follow me closely here. Look at verse 6 again. I want you to see the words that are used. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. We have these gifts that God has given, and He's given them according to His grace. Now slide up to verse 3 and watch Him call Himself a gift. Verse 3, For I say, through the grace that is given to me. You see what God did? God gave a gift to the church at Rome, and it was called Paul the Apostle. And in him writing this letter, he's a gift to the church at Rome. And he says, you church at Rome, you have gifts that by God's grace He has given to you. You see, God has given every single one of us. If you are a member, you're a part of the body of Christ, then you are a gift that God has given to this church. And this gift is not for you alone. This concept Paul develops in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8 about the body of Christ. And you didn't even know you had it until you sat down and you just started talking to them. You realize that that happens over and over and over in your life. You realize it's a gift that God's given to you, and you don't keep that for yourself. You don't go and stand in the corner and go, hey, I have the gift of encouragement. Just come and see me if you need some. You don't do that. So I've got this gift. God's given it to me. I'm going to use it within the body. I'm going to serve the body. You see that God's gift is for the body. It's not about you. And maybe your blessing, your gifting is financial, or maybe it's mental, or maybe it's in comforting, or maybe it's in having a calming voice that can unite the brethren. But whatever your gift is, it's not about you. It's for the body of Christ. So let's walk through these seven. I'll do two of them, rather lengthy. The last five, we'll walk quickly. Let me see. The first one is in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. So the first gift in this list is the gift of prophecy. I see the word prophecy meaning forth-telling, instead of foretelling. Forthtelling. Foretelling would be, I can see the future and I know what's coming in the future, therefore I'm going to prophesy the future. That's how it's used many times in today's language. Listen, God's never called us to be Nostradamus. God hasn't called us to try to pick out the day when He's coming back. How many of you remember that? Five Mile, there was a signboard I think the date was, if I can remember correctly, I think it was the 5th of May, 2007. Maybe you guys remember better than me. How many of you remember? The trumpet will sound. That was a huge movement back in 2007, I think it was. 
signboard. The reason I remember it so well is because I got my picture taken the day after in front of the signboard. It's like if, his, if the trumpet blew, God lied because I'm supposed to be out of here. We are not called to be making these kinds of prophecies. God gave us His Word. Prophecy is foretelling, thus saith the Lord. And when you look at the Old Testament prophets, that's what they were doing. They were standing and proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. Yea, forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed by God's punishment if you do not turn. If Nineveh had not turned, God would have destroyed Nineveh. And yet they turned and God showed mercy upon them. That's Jonah. Forthtelling, thus saith the Lord. Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Isaiah proclaims, thus saith the Lord. He is despised and rejected of men. Do you realize as Isaiah gives this prophecy, he does not understand what he's talking about. He was describing a crucifixion 200 years before the first crucifixion ever happened. Historically, he has no context for this. He wasn't saying, oh, I see this nation invading that nation, so therefore the mark of the beast will be this vaccination, and the Antichrist must be that dictator. He's not doing that. He's going, this is what God told me to say, and I don't fully understand it, but here's what God said to say. Thus saith the Lord. Now, today, we're in New Testament. Under God's grace, we do not need those prophetic words to come through some speaker because we have plenty of His words to proclaim. His finished word is already compiled in His Scriptures. And if someone stands to proclaim, I had a vision. Please hear me well, church. Someone stands and proclaims, I had a vision, and this is what God told me to tell you. I would ask you to quickly line it up and see if there is anything else in Scripture that lines up with it. For the moment he goes errant is the moment that he has turned away from what God has clearly said in his word. By the way, in Deuteronomy 18, there was a test of the prophets. We don't usually talk about those nowadays because a lot of those prophets giving their visions and dreams end up... Talk pigeon by me, talk also papaya. Deuteronomy 18 is very clear. If a person gives a prophecy and claims that it came from God and that prophecy doesn't come true, you're to stone that guy. He is, Deuteronomy 18's words, a false prophet. I want to be very careful about standing and proclaiming anything outside of what God's word has clearly said. Something happens within the body. The pastoral staff is talking about this. And how do we help the body? These guys have been a huge blessing to us. And guys, I might just project your minds. Our church at the end of this year is going to have a massive hole when Phil and Sarah leave. We've been served well by our deacons. And as I look forward to what can our deacons look like, I see very well that there could be a deacon that takes care of making sure the building's clean. Or a deacon that would be here early to make sure that everything's on and everything's set and ready to go. Or a deacon that's going to make sure that the offering gets counted on Sundays. Or a deacon that will make sure that the bathrooms are clean. 
Many of you have no idea after the last bus leaves, Eric and Malong go and get mops and scrub brushes and wash the bathrooms here. They serve our body well. And that's a gift, church. That's a gift. God has gifted our body with those who minister. And may I ask of you, be raising your hand and saying, God's given me a gift to minister. I'd like to minister to the body. I'd like to serve the body. Continue on. Verse 7. We have the gift of prophecy, the gift of ministering, the gift of teaching. The gift of teaching there in verse 7, the latter part, or he that teacheth on teaching. He's saying if you've got this gift, use it well. That could be the pastor. It could be somebody that leads life groups. It could be somebody that's taking care of the youth and teaching in a youth classroom, teaching in children's church. And let's be honest, it takes a gifting from God to teach the Word. It's a gifting. I won't ask, but I wonder how many of you might raise your hand and honestly say, if, Pastor, you called on me to teach the Word this next Sunday, I would crumble. You can certainly have the gift of exhortation where you exhort a brother or a sister, you come alongside them, hey, you heard what was said today. We can do this. That's an encouraging type of spirit. The fifth one is the gift of giving. See it in verse 8. He that giveth, let him do it bountifully. Another way to understand the word uh, with simplicity is bountifully. You're going to be giving with a cheerful heart, bountifully, simply, no need for fanfare, don't have to blow the trumpet, I'm just going to give. Before I go much further, I'm going to say our church has been blessed with givers. I'm very thankful for that. And not a single one of the givers in our church has ever asked for their name to be put in lights or a bell to be rung as they gave. And you guys have given. I'm just overly blessed by the way that our church has given. I don't have to stand and ask you to give. You do it out of a cheerful heart, and I'm thrilled for that. There are many ways in which you can give. I'll just be practical in one area. For example, there's a really good chance that perhaps a lot of us today came to church riding in a bus. Do you realize that the reason you were able to ride in the bus was because someone, and maybe it was you, someone gave to be able to pay for the fuel and the maintenance to run that bus? Many of us don't realize this. One bus, one trip through the city is 120 kina. One. And we do eight every Sunday. And then on Wednesday nights, we've got them scattered throughout the city. And then on Friday nights, four or five of them running on Friday nights to go and grab youth and bring them in. And not one single time have I ever had to say to the church, I'm so thankful God's given us givers like this. Not one single time have I ever had to say anything like, if you don't start giving, we won't be able to run buses. I've never even had to think that. I'm so thankful that God's gifted us with Giving people. You've been given the gift of giving, and so you've not held back. You've not kept it to yourself. You've given. 
And that's an encouragement. And I might just add, perhaps, because I see some of the buses come in slam-filled from Joyce Bay. What a blessing. We fill two whole buses from Joyce Bay for the last several months. I'm so thankful for that. And perhaps, maybe, if you've got a vehicle and you've been jumping on and riding, maybe it might be good when they fix the road one day. If that happens in the millennial reign of Christ, so be it. But before then, if we're still meeting for church and they fix the road and your vehicle is able to drive out and you're able to drive your vehicle out, maybe that could be a gift to the rest of other people who could ride in the bus and then you can drive your vehicle. Or maybe you drive your vehicle and you've got empty seats in your vehicle. You talk to somebody like Joe or Eric and say, hey, where are you having problems with picking people up that you have to turn away? Some of us don't know that, but many times the one that comes, the bus that comes along Waigani and makes it to Uni Roundabout, many times that bus is full and we have to turn people away. And most of us don't know about that. Maybe you say, I've got empty seats, so how can I serve the church by giving up some of these seats? And maybe I need to leave the house a few minutes early. It's okay. It's a gift. And it's not just a gift that God's given to you. He's given it to you so that you can serve the body. Maybe somebody that you know that's riding the bus might be, while they're riding the bus, using their gift of exhorting. And somebody else is using their gift of giving. And both are parts of the body, and both using their giftings as God has enabled them. The sixth one in verse number 8. This is ruling, ruling. He that ruleth with diligence. This speaks to administration, and if I were to just be open and transparent, I believe that God has given me gifting in both teaching, exhortation, and administration. So the things that I, I just be honest, I enjoy administration. Overseeing and making sure things are running well, various aspects of the ministry. The word ruling is not ruling over as though I am the Lord. It's ruling, serving, directing with diligence. Not just simply walking away and letting things just happen. We don't get to say, well, maybe we'll pay the electric bill next month. And we know that they're going to give us 30 days, and after that, they'll give us a couple of warning letters. We don't get to do that. We don't get to say, well, we'll just change the oil on the bus when we get around to it and we have time. No, Bevan knows we have a set schedule and we change the oil on time and keep those vehicles in good maintenance. That's administration, and do it with diligence. Pay attention to what's going on. So God's given you the gifting of administration. It's not just for you to hold it. Maybe step forward. Hey, I'd like to be a part of administration. Step forward and use that gifting for the body. Administration cannot slack off. That will harm the body. The last one in the list is showing mercy. See it in verse number 8. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. There's times in the church when someone is hurting. Maybe it's an illness or death or financial struggles. And it means a lot to that person to have someone just come sit down next to them, put their arm around them, pray with them, show mercy, find ways that maybe connect. The church can help in this area. Maybe somebody else can pray with us. I'm praying with you, but I'm going to get somebody else to pray with us. And when you're showing mercy, do it with cheerfulness. 
You say, why would you have to be told to do it with cheerfulness? You see, I think that a lot of us should have the gift of showing mercy. We've been given the mercies of God. We should be letting that flow out. But why would you have to be told to do it with cheerfulness? Because there's sometimes when life just gets busy. And somebody calls you up and says, hey, I'm really having a hard time right now. And you're thinking, and this isn't a good time for me to help you either. And so you might help and you might give some mercy, but you might not do it with cheerfulness. He says, hey, wait wait a second. You're showing mercy. Do it with cheerfulness. Find a way to make that other person have no idea that you're struggling by yourself, but be a gift to the body. I'm going to leave verses 9 and 10 for next week. But I do want us to jump into verse 10 because there's a principle here that will help us to tie this together. Remember, we have two commands. Don't think too highly of yourself. And secondly, think more highly of other believers. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love. Kindly affection. Affection is love. Show kind affection to one another with brotherly love. You mean Papua New Guinea, you mean Savilo brotherly love. If you don't have a good relationship with your brother, perhaps think within tribal lines. Napla line, come give him heavy, lo line blew you. We will stand in a line and we will give it back because we care for our line. You see that? Be kindly affectioned to one another with brotherly love. He didn't say, take up your spears and bush knives and fight. That's not what he said. He said, show love to each other as if you are brothers. And then he finishes out the statement in verse 10, in honor, preferring one another. You know what that means? If I'm going to, in honor, prefer, here's what that means. I want your way more than I want my way. Prefer. In, I'm going to honor you. And, and you have a way of seeing it and wanting to do it, and I have a way of seeing it and wanting to do it, but if I'm going to, in honor, prefer your way, that means I'm going to tell you, no, 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 please, let's do it your way, not my way. And then, if we're working together in brotherly love, guess what he's going to do? No, 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 your way, not my way. We're going to end up having an argument over trying to help the other one's way. Not our old ways of doing it. I want my way. No, we're going to have an argument over it. No, I want your way. In honor, preferring one another. Suddenly, our relationship gets turned upside down. I'll close with illustration from my own life. I grew up as the oldest of four boys. Many of you would be familiar with our family. My dad is here. Mom's at home in bed. My poor mom... I was the oldest of four boys. When I was six years old, my last born brother, Nathan, was born. So we're two years apart, and we're very close. Sorry for my mom. No got malalo blown in. I'm same time straight. Dad was always working, trying to make ends meet. He worked hard morning to night. We loved it when Dad would come home. He used to shave his face. But by the end of the day, his hair would already start to grow out. I remember being a small boy, and one of my favorite things was when Dad would come home and pick me up, 
and I would put my hands up on his face and I would rub his face. You know what I'm talking about? Five o'clock shadow, this guy can grow. Five o'clock shadow by noon. We should rub his face. He would say, Hatchy Natchy, Scratchy Mogachi. It's one of those things that sticks with you. But what Dad often didn't know was that while he was at work, the four of us boys, we were giving Mom head pain straight, yeah. There was one big rule in the house, no fighting. That was a big rule. No fighting. And yet, four boys, how are you going to keep them apart? I'm so blessed that, I'm so thankful that God blessed me with two girls. I gave my, my brothers, we were four boys, to my mom. And every time she turned around, it didn't even matter what we had to fight about. We would just fight. We didn't, there was no, you know, you've heard the phrase, we fight at the drop of a hat. We throw the hat on the ground. We're going to fight. It's just the way it was. And mom would turn around and you boys, and we would be standing there. I remember dad coming home after we had, like the four of us just be belting each other. And dad would walk in the door and somebody would say, dad's home. And we would stop fighting and we all come to the door. And I'm talking dragging, sweating, hair all out, torn shirt, sock is off, breathing hard. And dad would say, boys, what are you doing? Nothing. (laughs) No fighting. That was the rule. No fighting. And yet, we never stopped fighting. I remember we've grown I was about 22 years old. Becky and I were married. Ariel was a baby. My brother David had just gotten married. Ben, our third-born brother, was in, uh, he was between years in uni, and he had a very serious girlfriend at the time. And the three couples, the three of us couples, went to Disney World together for one day. I'm talking about Disney World, all right? Little girls dream of going to Disney World one day. And our three couples went to Disney World. If you've ever watched a Disney movie, they have, like, at the beginning of the Disney movie, there's the the cartoon of the castle, and then there's a fireworks thing that goes over the top of it. Every night at Disney World, at the end of the day, every night, 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, the real castle is there in the middle of Disney World Park, and they put the fireworks off, and there's a lake in front of it. It is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your whole life. So me and my wife and our little baby, and David and his wife, and Ben and his real serious girlfriend, we go to Disney World as brothers and spouses and girlfriend. And you know what we did all day long? We fought. We're at Disney World, and we fought. You see, I had a baby, and her name was Ariel. And me and Becky wanted to take Ariel to go and meet Ariel the mermaid. And you can stand in line for hours to go and meet somebody that's dressed up like Ariel the mermaid. And my brother David and his wife have no baby, and they don't care about Ariel the mermaid in the very least bit. But they certainly would like to go to a different place. And Ben and his girlfriend, remember, they're still single, so mom and dad has a rule. They don't get to go off on their own. So we have to stay together with Ben and his girlfriend while the rest of us, while I want to go to this one with my baby and he wants to go do his thing. And he's like, just let me alone with my girlfriend. And we're saying, no, 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 we have to stay together. But we fought all day long. Fought. 
And I'll never forget that night when they went to do the fireworks that night, there was a long wooden bridge about the size of this platform. And I remember David and his wife stood in the middle and he had his arms around her and watching the fireworks. Me and Becky were down here at the end. I was holding Ariel. By that point of the night, Ariel's asleep. I'm holding Ariel up like this and Becky and I are watching the fireworks. I'm trying to get the baby. Hey, look, 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 the fireworks. This is the only chance you're going to see this. Come on, hurry up. She's a baby. She has no idea what's going on. Ben and his girlfriend are down here on the far end watching the fireworks and wishing they could hold hands. (laughs) And every single one of us having the same thought, man, I'm really enjoying Disney World with my wife, and I hope he's hating it. You know why? Because we've been fighting all day long. And by the way, that was the last time we got to do that. We never got a chance to do it again. Some of you would know our family story. That was the last time that Ben and David and I were together. It was just a couple of weeks later that Ben died in a tragic accident in the ocean. And that night, as they were searching the ocean searching the beach for his body. David and I were sitting in a house 600 miles away. We never had to say sorry to each other. We knew exactly what we'd done. I've thought about it many times. And every conversation that David and I have for the last 20 years since that night, every single conversation we finish with the words, I love you, bro. Because I have no idea that might be my last conversation with him. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. The body is not intended to fight itself. God's given us gifts according to the grace of God. Use those gifts to be a blessing to the body. Love one another. Care for one another. Sacrifice your own body if you have to and be transformed by the renewing of your mind and be kindly affectioned one towards another. Father, I pray that in these closing moments together that we would see the blessing that it is to have brothers and sisters in Christ. My old ways, I used to think it's all about me. But in reality, it's all about you.